and welcome to the Time to Unwind podcast. Um, you might notice that Anthony sounds a bit different this week, and that's because it's not Anthony, but it's myself, James, who's hosting. Um, hopefully I'll live up to his high standards, but that remains to be seen. And uh, joining me as well today is my good colleague, Tim. Say hi, Tim. Hello, everyone. I'm still here. <laughs> Just about. We haven't we haven't managed to get rid of you yet. No, not yet. Um, You're one episode at a time you get in there. Yes, little by little. Um, and we are also joined by a good friend of mine, Josh from Watch It All About, who I'm sure lots of you will have heard of because he's been writing about watches for a very long time now, haven't you? Hello. Yes, I, I suppose you could been? say that. How long has um, it been? So uh, nearly eight years now. Eight Actually, years. Watch It All About has been set up for nearly eight years. But before then, I used to publish the occasional review on the ChristopherWardForum.com. Uh, so I fiddled with reviews for a little while before actually setting up my own, own site. Yeah, so it's been So it's a gradual a thing for you? I suppose it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I've always been into photography as well. Not that I'm obviously up to standards of the watch gecko clan. Uh, but um, I always thought, you know, I used to flip watches so often being an average watch nerd, uh, as I'm sure so many others do. I was like, ah, oh, it would be cool to document some of this, I suppose. Take a few snappies, write my thoughts on yeah. it. Which is, I think, I think um, the way a lot of us sort of independent, you know, like side hustle hobby, like bloggers go, isn't it? We're like, we've got an interest in what we want to write about. And then we think, hang on, I've got all these bits. Like, why don't I, I, I write about it? So Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was quite fortunate that I started work as an actual web developer. So at that point, I was like, uh, there's literally no excuse here. Why don't I just make a website for myself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You've literally got all the all the skills you need to just do it. So yeah, like no barriers to entry. Yeah, it was rubbish to start with. I mean, if I, it's, it's funny, you go back and you look at your very first article and you're like, what a load of rubbish. It, it's, it's all part of the process, isn't it? Um, yeah. As you sort of, because you're self, you're teaching yourself, aren't you? It's all self-taught. Mm. So it's one of those things where as you do like more and more, you, ju you just naturally improve. You naturally learn from other, other writers, other photographers. And so, you know, a couple of years down the line, you look back and you're like, wow, I can't, I can't believe I thought that was good before. Um, yeah. I mean, over the last couple of um, couple of years as well, I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but the uh, amount of other bloggers and incredible photographers on Instagram have, have just like pushed so many yeah. others on. Yeah, there, there's. Like, I mean, it's great. It's great that the community has expanded so much. Um, but yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean, especially on Instagram. It's very, uh, I don't want to say crowded because that implies we could thin the herd. But um, <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of very good photographers on Instagram now. Yeah. And it's, it's just mm. insane. Um, and there's a lot of, as you said, there's a lot of um, independent bloggers like us who do it for a hobby, uh, especially on YouTube. Actually, I've noticed a lot of small YouTubers yeah. popping up. Um, of which I used to be one. So I think they're a bit of a lockdown project, aren't they, for a lot of people? Yes. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of yeah. Because, yeah, who else? Um, uh, one of our favourite Instas, the Speedy Shutter, Tim. Um, yeah. He was a lockdown project, I believe, wasn't he? Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he'll correct me on Insta if I'm wrong. I'll, I'll get a DM when this goes live saying, what the hell are you on about? Been doing it for 10 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I'm pre pretty sure it's, yeah, it is a, an Insta lockdown project for him, and it's obviously it's just done very well. <laughs> Josh, do you, remember, um, do you remember what your first article was? Um, it was... What was it? It was either a uh, Steinhardt um, big pilot. That classic. Or... Is, uh, <laughs> it was like a 47 millimeter one. I look at it now and I'm like, why did I even buy that? Um, <laughs> or it was um, like a Chris, something about Christopher Ward, the old uh, Malvern quartz chrono with the three sub dials. So you, Just... you like Christopher Ward as well? Then? It's, it's like talking to two Jameses right now. Oh, and I was sorry. going to say, this is the real reason I've got Josh. Yeah, I'm, I'm severely outnumbered. I, I do like Chris Ford. <laughs> I, I, to be completely honest, Chris Ford do have a special place in my heart because they were the very first brand to actually take me seriously and to lend me a watch to review. Because okay. back then, um, I like when I when I look back and I I think to, I kick myself really because I didn't take it serious more serious in the early days because I only started around a year later than Worn and Wound. And look at them now. They're obviously one of the biggest watch 
conglomerate scoing. I didn't uh, realise, yeah, it's weird. Until you just pointed that out, I didn't realise that you're pretty much the same age as them in terms of like the, the blog. And that's that's really weird to think. <laughs> depressing, more like. <laughs> I'm here on my own still and they're like... Yeah, but they're a team though, aren't they? So you yeah. kind of... Yeah, that's one that's, it, that's that's the one uh, over I didn't sort of open my doors to guests guests and other collaborators sooner um mm. but back then it was a completely different story I sound like an old timer but like seven or eight years ago getting a getting a company to to lend you a watch unless you were massive mm. was very very difficult and unheard of unless you're obviously a, a well-established brand uh, blog already so Chris Ford was the very first brand to actually send me a watch to review, and it was the the original Trident Auto, which was mm. still is a fantastic watch with the wavy dial and the onion sword hands. Um, so yeah, the, I I do enjoy working with Chris Ford still, and they still do very very good watches, as I'm sure you appreciate, James. You uh, only just checked out the super compressor, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Or so you um, at the moment. I, I do. I've got it literally right here in front of me, and yeah, it's. I mean, you, you know, like 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 you, um, the Trident Quartz actually. Back when they still did Quartz Trident, so that was my first proper watch that got me okay. into collecting. Um, it's probably about four or five years ago now, and ever since then I've just been down that rabbit hole. But um, yeah, uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, this super compressor review is nearly done. I'm a little behind because of other stuff here. Um, but uh, spoiler alert, as usual, it's. It's a great watch. Um, and you see, uh, it's funny, I was not going to talk about Christopher Ward. Sorry. <laughs> I was deliberately like, I got no, it too much. Pe people have <laughs> like stereotyped me. Anthony has stereotyped me as a guy who always talks about them. So I was like, I'm deliberately not going to mention it. That lasted, I kind of knew in my heart that it would only last about five minutes. I was like, <laughs> nah, we're, we're going to end up talking about it. Um, so um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's a great watch. I've enjoyed it. To be honest, the super compressor is a bit out there in design for me personally but I, I appreciate that they've gone they've gone for something different and they've not just rehashed um their usual c65 look yeah. um so yeah props to them for that um but it's just a really interesting watch yeah uh, technology is pretty cool in it isn't it i mean i yeah. haven't properly looked at one yet but yeah i mean obviously it's just um i don't i don't cool. know really like what other than this compression spring which is what makes it a super compressor um, I, don't, I don't know, sort of technology-wise, like how intricate that is, or if it's just a case of, you know, redesigning a special case back or a special like bit to the case. Because obviously, apart from like the ring around the back of the display case um, with the spring in, it looks just like any other super compressor star watch. Right. Um, the, the, you don't. It doesn't. It's not chunkier. It's not heavier. You, you know what I mean? There's nothing to differentiate it other than. Yeah. It's a super compressor, <laughs> but ninety-nine percent of people who buy it won't even take it swimming anyway. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. I'm trying to think of the last time mine actually—not that I only tried it anymore—but like I took a dive watch near water. I mean, there isn't the sink. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's those things. Um, I don't even risk it anymore. I just wear G-Shock or a, you know some sort of Casio that you know is fine. <laughs> it's like, I don't wear any watches. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. I bought my Tudor specifically to go adventuring with. That was the only reason. <laughs> only tool work. The closest I got was my sub a few years ago on holiday. Um, I think I'd only had it a couple of years. So I was keen to, you know, take it to its environment, as, as they all say. Um, <clears throat> and I wore it in the swimming pool, and that was nice. And then when we went to the beach, I was like, eh. I don't know if I want to go like properly swimming in the ocean with it. I was like, yeah. oh, I'll, I'll take something outside. Did, I'll maybe yeah. take Did you have it like on a bracelet or something? So it was, it was, it's still on the bracelet. So yeah. If the spring yeah. bar had failed, it's gone forever. Yeah, I suppose I took the risk. I mean, Rolex, they've been doing it for yeah. 60 however many years on the bracelet. So mm. I, I know a thing or two about that. Yeah. yeah. Sand, sand can, sand can get in horrible places as well. Obviously, uh, in various orifices in your body <laughs> let's let's scoot over that but yeah, yeah on a watch uh, it can get under the bezel and all sorts oi and then yeah. it's all scratchy and itchy for ages and yeah it did get a did get a good clean once up. I was finished with that mm. but um, okay so you've covered obviously you did touch <clears throat> on something that is uh, I wanted to ask you about which is um, mm -hmm. getting brands to take you seriously um and as an independent, well, I know myself, because obviously before I came here, I did 
basically do what you do. I've been doing it mm. a couple of years. Yeah. Um, so obviously a lot smaller, but I've, 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 I can relate. Um, so I was going to ask you basically how asking brands for a, a watch, a loan watch to review has sort of changed for you over the years. And as you said, it was quite difficult at the beginning. And has that really gotten easier? Do do more well-known brands take you more seriously now or you, do you still struggle? Uh, yes. So a uh, good question. Um, as I mentioned, it has got a lot now. Uh, I suppose two reasons. First of all, the site, what you're all about is probably mm-hmm. slightly more respected. I don't know how much more, but you know, it's slightly more well-known, I guess. Um, so that's good. That works in my favor. But secondly, watch brands, you know, the social media has changed everything, uh, basically. Yeah. So brands now understand them and are more willing to, to send out watches to reviewers to, I hate the word, but influencers, you know, technically it is, it is as it is, uh, someone who mm. reviews a, a watch. So yeah, slightly easier. Um, however, it's still, I don't know. I still find it a little bit difficult today. I still predominantly, predominantly work with smaller brands, micro brands, mm. uh, but probably just thinking off the top of my head, some like bigger brands that I've, had the pleasure of working with Maurice Lacroix. That was this mm-hmm. year. That was really good. Had the Acon Ventura. That was. Oh, I, rem- I, I remember seeing you get that in. Yeah. That yeah, nice. that was really nice. Um, so hopefully I'll work with them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victorinox worked with them. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I'll be able to work with them again. And just recently Accutron. Uh, with oh that, yeah, that, uh, that was DNA. the big one. Yeah. Yeah, so really pretty awesome. chuffed with that. But they're they're literally the biggest brands I've worked with so far. I mean, I haven't necessarily reached out to anyone. I'd like to like. Mm work with Oris, for instance, but I haven't yeah. necessarily had the chance to reach out to them. Hopefully they would be willing. Uh, but mm. yeah, it, it is a little bit easier, but it's still relatively difficult um, for the bigger brands. That is the smaller brands. They're obviously a lot more. Yeah. Willing. It's good yeah. exposure for them, but. Well, uh, it's, it's one of those things, I guess it's like the transition. Those bigger brands all have specific marketing plans, budget strategies, um, guidelines and all that to follow. Um, so, I mean, I think it's something that, you know, obviously we've got experience with and even we and uh, i'll let tim talk about this now because he he knows far more because that's his job to arrange all the review stuff uh, okay. part of his job um mm. but i think it's still it's not easy for us even though we're you know a, an actual company and not just you know an independent person so yeah um tim well, what <laughs> explain yeah, you're right pretty much i mean i think it is less about the publication and it's almost more about the state of the industry and how it it sees the online world we we've contacted brands in the past about stocking some of their watches and you almost can't really get through the door because we don't have a physical store so okay okay, if you have a physical store we're not we're not interested in talking to you so even like stuff like that is actually is quite backwards in the way that we all understand the industry to be um and yeah i mean a few years ago probably about three or four years ago now we we really pushed the content side of things more um and really invested a lot of time and effort into it and 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 that took time to to get brands around to happy being happy to send us stuff um each each publication kind of comes with their own issues or hurdles i suppose Uh, and for us personally like we have to reassure brands that you know they land on our website and they see loads of straps it's like well actually we're not we're not trying to sell your watch. We're not trying to do anything with it. We, we just want to handle your watch, show it on a few of our straps and, and publicize that really. Um, so yeah, you're right. There are certain brands who, who, who get it. Um, and, and they're the ones who are successful on social media, who people are talking about all the time, who, if you went to Baselworld and you wanted to book a meeting, they're going to get you sorted straight away. Um, and, and there are brands that, that just don't, and they're, they're the older brands in the industry and they're the ones that yeah. are it's slower on the uptake. Yeah stuck in the old days there is a bit of that and i, th- I think the mentality is changing because of how this year yeah. mm-hmm. I, I think this year has kind of propelled that, that that way of thinking a lot more well it's like necessity isn't it in that um if all your physical stores are closed how are you going to sell watches <laughs> patek started allowing their retailers mm. to, to sell online like yeah that that's a shift that a few years ago they said that they wouldn't. You would never buy a Patek online. You'd yeah, never. it was un- unthinkable, wasn't it? Really, it's yeah. that sort of thing. And the, yeah, these brands are like, no, 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 no. You have to come in. You have to book an appointment or whatever, and sit mm. down and go through the go go jump through the hoops. And then now it's like, oh, suddenly our bank balance could be zero next month. <laughs> yeah, 
add to yeah. pay with PayPal. Jobs are good. And- Mm, yeah. yeah, the industry is is changing to that. I mean, it, even like the collaboration side of things. I'll tell you, James, the other day I saw a. Actually, I don't know if it's released yet. <laughs> no. Um, I, I saw a collaboration between a watch brand and a shoe company, and they released a new pair of oh, shoes. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah. I was like, oh, yes, I, I know as well, yeah. Yeah, well, this is crazy. I, I love this sort of insider thing. Like the listeners, if this is something we can't talk about, what the hell are they talking about? Whereas we're all like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know. <laughs> Um, yeah. But actually, it's funny because I just saw... It is live. Sorry. Oh, good. That's good. So go on. <laughs> tell, tell them what it is. Uh, New Balance. <laughs> well, it was a really, like, a really interesting uh, piece of evidence to show how much the world is changing. Mm. And it's mm. something we've seen in other in- industries. Like, I don't know if people know streetwear. They know that Supreme have been doing that sort of thing for a year. Like North Face, they're collaborating. Like, I think North Face did, have done something like Louis Vuitton recently. Mm. Brands from completely different worlds colliding and and releasing product, and it is the same for content. Yeah. Well, I just saw um, actually one of the pieces. I was going to save it for the end, but whilst we're on the subject, um, (laughs) Breitling have done um, a Super Ocean collaboration, haven't they, Um, with a brand called Outer Known, who I've never heard of, but apparently they're a California-based apparel company. And mm. it's quite a nice looking watch. Um, it's the sort of thing I'd like to see more of from Breitling, like a really nice. I mean, it's just I mean, the Super Ocean has been out for yeah. a few months now, but um, it's just a really nice colorway of it. Um, classic vintage look. So, yeah, it's, it's just, yeah, as you just said, it just illustrates that even brands like that are collaborating with sort of the more out there. Watch Gecko, watch Gecko and Breitling collab, you think? Well, we have been talking about it with a couple of brands. There is some stuff it, potentially we'd like oh. to do. Um, yeah, yeah, stuff we've, yeah the, so I, I can't mention any names. Okay. But we... Chris Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, um, in all seriousness, yeah, no, no. We, a collaboration is something we'd like to do. And we're very pleased to say that there's a couple of brands have um, expressed uh, openness to that idea. Well, they, they've been the ones to suggest it to us. Um, oh, which again cool. goes to show just how much the industry is changing that we're we're talking to brands and they're going oh you know what be, be good if we could do something together and it's like mm. oh, yeah it would <laughs> let's talk about this um it's, uh, so, it's easy it, I, I, hodinky do it really well it's really easy oh yeah uh, make, make it gray and charge four times the price jobs <sighs> are good yeah i mean sad but true i mean literally <laughs> just 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 tweak the colors ever so slightly on one of the most popular models from the brand and then and then release it in like a limited edition of a few hundred pieces and boom instantly you've made yourself a million (laughs) (laughs) it's sad but it's true i mean that's their gift though i think that they do it really well i mean joking one thing i admire about hodinky collabs is they know just how far to tweak a watch Mm. Um, like that Oris one with the the yeah. Oris sixty five with the grey bezel, they knew that all they had to do is just slightly change the color tone and yeah. put Hodinky on the back. They didn't have to go crazy and say we want it to be completely different from your regular range of um, yeah. divers. Um, and I think that that's their real skill is is in design, knowing just how far to take things. Yeah, Fratello actually are releasing a special edition with Oris next week, apparently. Six days, I think there's a countdown going oh, on. Oh, yeah. I, Is it? I don't know what it's going to look like. But. Not Maybe not yet, James. <laughs> okay, I was about to say, I was about to say, I was like, go to check because you said, you said what model it is, didn't you, to me today? Like, yeah, it's it's if it's uh it's quite obvious on their Instagram with the teasers. To be honest, this episode will probably be out actually. Um, yeah, true. So we've been kind of slide. But yeah, I, I was just writing about that uh, before before getting on the call. Yeah. So yeah, yeah oh, cool. brands are, are doing that a lot more, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's good to see, and it's also good to see that they're not going, not necessarily going to other brands to do stuff. They're actually going to people who create content to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where like that producing quality content can lead on to other exciting things. Yeah, well, it's it's, a, it's about the audience, isn't it? I guess, um, <laughs> and and not for like like people like us and well, you, Josh, and Warren and Wound, Hodinky. The whole point is they've got a captive audience of watch geeks, isn't it? People who like what yeah. they do and, and 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 who they are as uh, as a company and what they stand for. Um, so it, it makes complete sense, really, doesn't it? Um, so yeah, interesting. It's just interesting to see how the industry is going. Um, yeah. So yeah, moving on. Um, obviously, you've uh, been doing this a long time. 
and as you say, you've been kicking yourself that you're not as big as Waterland and you've made different choices. Um, are you actually ever tempted to go full time with this? Because as you hinted earlier, you're actually um, a web developer by day, aren't you? So this isn't, yes. it's, not, it's not your day job yet, but would you consider making that jump? So um, first of all, my, my boss is my brother-in-law. So I ah. will say I do love being a website developer. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not saying that just because. So yeah, I do genuinely actually love my job, which is a good thing. It's very rare in you know this day and age uh, that we're actually in a job that's, that's great. However, there's no doubt about it. Watches are my passion, as obviously you, James. Um, mm. So yeah, I am tempted always tempted however it's just not feasible um and the reasons behind it are um well i suppose i could technically go for a, a job with another company such as yourself also mm. dave uh dave Sargent moved over to fratello watches really chuffed for him from lpw watches oh, yeah. um so that's cool um so yeah that that would be an option however if i was to sort of go full-time with what it's all about it would be very difficult, almost impossible yeah. to to take the jump uh, because you know to as soon as it becomes an actual business paying a wage, you have to start the numbers just don't stack up. Money. Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> and you have to end up running sponsored posts, charging mm. for reviews. Obviously, obviously, yeah, the output would would increase because mm. you'd be dedicated to it full time. However. You know, it's all commercialized then. And I don't know, it doesn't necessarily sit right with me. I think there was quite a clear shift with Worn and Wound, actually. Mm. Obviously, they started hiring more and more people, and you've got to, you've yeah. got to cover their wages, which is understandable. And as soon as it starts becoming a big business, you, you do actually notice a, yeah. a shift in direction of their, their output as well. Well, to be honest, like, I guess Hodinkee is the prime example. And again, people rip into them for how commercial they've become but at the end of the day it is a necessity and you did we have seen a clear shift in like the past four years or so ever since they started selling vintage watches i think really mm. and and pushing that that it's just sort of expanded from there and again it's 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 another reason why we, like people like us that are doing these collaborations i mean not us specifically but people uh create content creators in the watch industry are working with brands because there's no other real way of making um, money, essentially, unless you're starting starting to sell stuff. Because yeah. um, ads and sponsorship, it, well, from what I've seen, yeah. isn't really feasible. Um, I've seen our YouTube ad revenue, and it, it, even, you know, we're not a small channel. We're not a massive channel. Yeah. But even that, they, you know, the scale that I'd have to be to pay even one person's wage yeah, is exactly. insane. Um, so it's, it's yeah. just it's just one of those things. Yeah, you'd have to be to to make sort of half decent money from YouTube advertising. You'd have to be either you know hundred thousand plus a just one more watch, Bark and Jack kind of level and upwards. Yeah. Um, and then the advertising. Yeah, it's very difficult to to make a living out of YouTube. It's quite stressful as well. I can imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah. which I don't need that extra stress at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's one of those things, because obviously before I came here, um, I was considering, like, do I want to make the jump myself? Because again, as you say, when 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 it is your job, you've got so much more time and you can plan it, you can do it all exactly how you want, when you want it. Um, and I was, I was thinking about it, but it's just, it's just revenue streams are so um, unpredictable. There's just no solid way for someone, a content creator, really, to make money because you, you mentioned sponsored posts and that but i don't think there's that many brands that would really pay for sponsorship uh, or at least pay enough yeah. you know to, again to make it worthwhile um and then obviously the audience don't want to pay for the content understandably they shouldn't have yeah. to so it's like well, where, where do you get your money yeah. from as a, as a blogger or a content creator or whatever um so i'm really i'm really grateful that <laughs> there was this opening here and that yeah. it was literally half an hour from where i live unbelievable yeah <laughs> yeah i was like oh, it, it was a sign it was a sign <laughs> the stars <laughs> <what they're>... <laughs> well yeah yeah to an extent um so speaking of, of of jobs and stuff um we'll move on to talking about something which is pretty exciting for you which is your time well, you've recently obviously started working with Watchshop, who yes. for those of you uh, those of our listeners who don't know is probably the biggest i want to say the biggest online retailer of watches in the uk 
They are. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And they're owned by um, which? Is it the same? Is it the Goldsmiths? Uh, uh, watches. Uh, oh, of Switzerland, I think. Yeah, so it's, it's all under the gold. Is, that. is it Goldsmiths as well? Pretty. Yeah, you're making yeah. me doubt it now. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I, it is. I don't know off but, the top of my head. It's one of those. But it pretty, it basically, obviously, they're owned by one of the probably one of the biggest jewel jewelry companies in the UK. They are the biggest online retailer. So, so it's a pretty yeah. big thing for you to be doing, isn't it? Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so, disclaimer. So I I'm not sponsored by Watchshop. Um, I I work with them completely independently. So I'm not like mm. an affiliate or anything like that. Basically, the arrangement we have is they they pay me for my time to go down and shoot some videos with them. Mm. So so they don't like say, oh, we'll give you loads of money if we sell all these watches. And, mm. you know, with a, they don't have like a uh, an ulterior motive behind anything. They just want to. Yeah. You're start, not paid per view or paid per yeah, exactly. you know, referral. So they just wanted to basically start building up their YouTube channel. Mm. So they reached out to a few guys uk based obviously um i was one of them so i was like okay sounds good let's yeah i'm interested sure let's talk about it more went down and, and discussed it with them um it all sounded amazing i mean the the level of production is is incredible um because obviously oh, yeah, i've seen the behind the scenes shots on your insta it's like wow, I'm unbelievable <laughs> yeah it's like proper studio setup like the cameras are the same cameras they're using in like james bond movies it's like 100% professional I'm, I'm there like what what on earth is going on this is amazing so yeah it, it's it's amazing I mean I'm struggling to describe it but the amount they must be spending on Brilliant. this is it's yeah. quite a lot because obviously it's a, a London agency as well so I can't imagine mm. they're cheap um, but well, the, the output the quality is, is wonderful so yeah I'm mm. really uh, excited by where that's going so I go down once a month um, and usually we just record three videos um, in one session so yeah uh, we, we like plan them beforehand yeah cool. uh, what watches we're going to review or what articles we're going to do sorry not articles but you know a video mm. um so very very good it's going well i'm excited uh, excited to be doing it as well it's just like one of those things where it's interesting seeing how the professionals do it because yeah, you know i've yeah. just done it myself um and you know just recently i've managed to up upgrade my camera to a uh, Sony A7 III, which is wonderful. But before then, you know, I was mm. just using a pretty cheapo budget DSLR, like a little Nikon, which was good for, you mm. know, I'm not knocking that. It was, did me really well. But like just seeing the clear steps in production. Yeah, yeah, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's crazy. It's crazy. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, as you say, it's, it's stuff like the equipment and the software and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I saw you've got like a teleprompter as well, haven't you, behind your... Yeah, it's just basically a big iPad which yeah. scrolls. But it's little things like that that um, just make all the difference because mm. um, it's it's one of the reasons we film as obviously how we do um, behind the camera rather than, yeah. than in front. Is to be honest, it, it's difficult to read out and look at a yeah. camera and remember lines, and it it's is. just it's just quicker just to yeah. film behind the camera and boom. I completely uh, agree. You know, there's no big secret to it. Um, but I mean, it's something that's great to do, and you know, in the future we do want to do more stuff, um, which we have done before. Tim, Tim's done before, haven't you? You and Ben used to talk in front of the camera. Oh, I was um, hoping you won't bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I don't think there's that many still live on the on the channel. We've uh, we've hidden. We, we only did a few of them, yeah. Um, it, we actually called that. That was called Time to a Mind, and that was the first yeah. uh, iteration of this sort of thing. The name. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of evolved into this. Um, but yeah, that was that was me and Ben just sat down. Talking about watches, really. I mean, that was only a few years ago when we, well, I mean, I, I feel like I don't know anything at the moment, so I feel like back then I definitely didn't. But it, it was it, we very much sold it as just two guys like having a drink, just talking about something, and you know, not not we, we weren't trying to make out to be experts. There aren't many people in the world I think who can really call themselves an expert on watches because the the topic's so huge, oh, vast. Yeah, yeah that uh, as I've come with her speaking to. I think it was um, Adrian Halswood, actually. He's a journalist in the UK for watches. Mm. And he was saying that the more he learns about watches, the more he realizes he actually knows nothing. Yeah. And and I think that's I think that's the case for a lot of people, actually. I mean, even if like if someone out there is listening and goes to the first red bar, you'll meet people who know 
so much about Grand Seiko, like no, so much about Tudor or whatever, and you and mm. you, you, your eyes are open into actually how big the industry really can be. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy, isn't it? Just yeah, the, the, just the amount of different topics and brands and iterations of movement, so much. You're never going to learn it all, are you? So. I mean, it comes back. A lot of these brands don't know their own history. Like, like yeah. long jeans are a good example of a brand who do, but mm. there are many brands out there that during the quartz crisis just just got rid of their history books because they they couldn't mm. keep the doors open. So, uh, Breguet's a, a common one where you know high end collectors. I think Goldberg has done it in the past where he's had a watch that Breguet didn't know they made. That he showed it to them, and they were like, "Yep, this is definitely a Breguet. We didn't know we made this." I think the um, is it a sixteen forty six Breguet? That's pretty fascinating. Which is the uh, I I believe it's the diver. Yeah, sixteen forty six diver is the one that was discovered a few years ago, um, and they only made like twenty six of them. (laughs) Uh, Oh, sorry, sorry, sixty. Only made sixty. And yeah, Breguet like. We just just didn't know they'd done it until, until one came up. That's crazy. That is. That's crazy. Yeah. So that that almost lack of information from the history books kind of mm. continues on. I mean, even now, like how many how many brands are releasing watches? I saw that Oris released a mm. two tone bronze diver recently. Mm. I think it had like a coppery dial. Yeah. But they released it at the same time as their um, new caliber four hundred Aquas. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they didn't really make much noise about it. Yeah. yeah. So like, like it's still happening now. Like brands are releasing <laughs> stuff and not really making too much noise about it. So, you know, you could go to a watch event and see that watch and not even know it was a thing. I think you yeah. touched on something there that a lot of brands miss a trick with. Well, or they did miss a trick with. They're becoming better at is, is exploring their, their history and their back catalogue and, and stuff they have done in the past. I think um, Belova is probably the best example that springs to mind. The brand with all this amazing history and some amazing watches that they've made in the past. Um, and of course, until until the again until the past few years, they didn't really do much to explore like mm. th- that heritage, and and they didn't really do reissues. And they tried to th- they were so focused on going forward, um, which which is obviously what you want to do usually. But obviously, the watch industry or the us consumers are actually looking back at the moment to uh, mm. um, you know vintage pieces. Um, and they they really missed a trick, and it's only since they started to really reissue pieces like the Oceanographer, um, the Moon Watch, of course, um, and you know a few others from their archive range that they've really, I think, sort of got back on the map a bit. It, it, yeah. I think it comes from the the top, really. I mean, mm. uh, Breitling are a really good example of this. George's Kearns took over yes. three years ago now, um, with with a clear vision of of changing the Breitling branding. Mm. Um, changing the the mindset of people who know Breitling and, and to be honest, changing the customers of people who, who, who actually buy their watches as well. And that's yeah. why we see them doing their, their Breitling summits online. They're, they're working with a lot of like cyclists and other celebs and they've done a lot more their vintage, uh, vintage, Rolex, vintage models. Um, they, 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 he's just exploring that more and he, he knows that that's what collectors like. So I, I do think it, it comes from the top. Yeah. Yeah, I think you. I think I think you may make a very good point there, especially when um, the top is potentially like sort of citizen, and you know, it's it's not just the head of the brand; it's the mm. head of whoever's in charge of about six brands, and has to find a niche for them all, and they can't overlap. Um, I mean, Rolex and Tudor are a great example because I'm sure that you know a lot of what Tudor do is dictated to them along the lines of it cannot look too much like a Rolex. Mm. Um, so I think there's a lot of that that goes on, um, which, which again makes sense because what's the point in bringing out um, two watches from separate brands you own mm. that look near identical? They're, they're competing. Well, why do it? Well, they, they did it with the uh, Pepsi GMTs, didn't they, the other year? I think they, they clever. Mm. They, they pick and choose when they do it because they, they obviously released it on mm. Jubilee for Rolex. Yeah. And then everyone goes, wow, that's great. Probably can't afford it. Probably can't yeah. get it. And yeah. then you turn around and you see that they've that Tudor have uh, done the same thing on the same thing, grand, and you can buy it. Yeah, yeah. Well, other than that, then that did have all the uh, <coughs> the mechanical issues. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, in theory, great idea. Um, but yeah, you're right. Um, Tudor and Rolex are very much they do they do pick and choose, don't they? I mean, the fifty eight is a good example as well of another one that you know is, is specifically designed to fill that vintage sub niche mm-hmm. meanwhile the sub itself stays as the sort of the pinnacle of modern rolex engineering um and is yeah. the best most 
amazing thing it can be uh, whilst the Tudor evokes that vintage vibe people want but can't get. Yeah. yeah. Josh, what sort of brands do you normally revolve yourself around? Obviously, we, we've mentioned a little bit about Tudor and stuff there, but mm-hmm. do, you, do you kind of dabble in some of those brands or do you kind of stick with? Uh, luxury brands, uh, not really, only mm. because I can't afford them. <laughs> but <laughs> um, the uh, Omega Planet Ocean is where where I'm at. It's long been uh, a grail of yours, hasn't it? Yes. And in actual fact, I've been long considering selling or cons- consolidating the majority of my collection to fund one. Um, and I think I might, it's just like taking that step to sell all these watches. Mm. Cause obviously I've hoarded watches over the years and I could raise enough funds to get it, but it's just. How many, uh, how many watches are you deep in the collection then? <clears throat> <laughs> I keep. I tried to keep it reasonably uh, low. Uh, either send watches back or uh, don't get. Well, yeah, don't get to keep them. The more obviously, so probably mm. I don't know, fifty or sixty at the moment. So it's relatively light. So that's fifty or sixty in your collection. Yeah. 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 Okay. I love it. I was going to. Yeah. I was Sorry. Like, <laughs> but he actually does have fifty, and he thinks that's. Yeah. Low. Yeah. yeah. So I've got yeah. three. I've got three boxes uh, in my bedroom. I've got some still. At, my office at work, which I'm obviously not allowed to go to because our office is closed. So, yeah, that's the status at the moment. However, I just always dreamed about having that, you know, that that grail, mm, as yeah. you do. Um, and the Planet Ocean is that grail for me, um, which is relatively attainable. You know, it's not as if it's like a Daytona or or Patek Philippe or anything like that. So. You can yeah. actually walk into a shop, well, when they're open, and buy one. You don't. Have I know. To, yeah. Uh, how about that? Go on a wait list. It's mad. That. <laughs> crazy concept products are available in yeah. shops <laughs> cool. um, yeah. so, yeah. so go on I was, no, I, was, well, I was just gonna tie it off and say oh yeah i don't i don't dabble too much in the luxury sector uh it's mainly sort of entry-level luxury and the, mm. the affordable range mainly because that's where my blog focuses on so my <clears throat> interest and time are better focused around that that mm. price range as well really so what yeah. sort of brands out there do you think are doing a really good job? It, because that, that entry level price point is really competitive, isn't it? I mean, mm. even if you take it from down to five hundred up to, I don't know, you could even say two grand, almost entry entry luxury and and slightly yeah. above. Like, which of those which brands do you think are, are players in that price point that that actually really do well? Um, in terms of actual build quality, I've been incredibly impressed by Formex watches. Okay, yeah, um, we've done a little bit with those, actually. Yeah, I reviewed mm. three, three of theirs, and I really want to check out their new Diver as well. Mm. Um, but every watch that I've handled of theirs is wonderful for the money. Uh, very, mm. very good. There is one really cheap brand that I always recommend, uh, which I absolutely adore. They're based in Hong Kong, a little tiny workshop. They only release like 50 watches at a time. They're called Perpetual Watch. And the Never website is, oh, mate, perpetual-watch.com. Their watches are all about $150 to, well, they do some to be ons. Um, they're about $1,000, but I've reviewed a handful of those watches. Oh, yeah, I've seen they are, they are flipping amazing for the money, like genuinely. I've got the um, SC03. It's got an enamel dial, thermally blued hands. Um, it's got a seagull yeah. uh, movement, and that was $150. Yeah. And you don't. You don't see that on, you know, you don't see thermally blued hands on watches under 500 quid usually. They're usually mm. either chemically blued or um, uh, lacquered. Yeah. So that's, that's impressive. And, and they do give a beautiful different hue as well. It's like ingrained yeah. into, the ste- uh, into the, I forgot what it's made of, but, you know, ingrained into the actual metal itself. Yeah, no, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, because the only one I can think of uh, that also does thermally blued uh, at that price point would be Time Factors and their Smiths. Mm. Um, yeah. watches the um, oh, the PRS 29, I think it is. The Air Ministry one, that, that's not thermally blued. And it is beautiful, The um, as you say, the, the colours. It's so vibrant, that blue. It's very nice. Yeah. So they're two, they're two brands that I'm really, really uh, impressed with. I won't mention Christopher Ward. <laughs> but I do honestly believe the Trident 600 yeah. is flipping delightful. Yeah, I've got yeah. a Trident 600, and in my eyes, it's the best diamond <clears throat> grand, I think. It's mm. just like the build quality is otherworldly. It's beautiful. Love it. Mm. That's mm. that's like my go-to go-to watch. So they're probably my top three at the moment. Um, what other brands have really impressed me? Oh, uh, Hampton. The Hampton mm. 
Kraken. That's a wicked. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember as we'll get on to later. I did see yeah. it at the Watch It Watch Fair. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll That's talk good. about that in a bit. But um, yeah. yeah, they're 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 really well made. Um, those are some really great pieces, and I was very impressed um, with the quality of um, his stuff actually. Um, and yeah, they're, they're just really nice for the money, especially when you look at the price. You're like, oh. That's because what are they like sub 500? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were on when he first started on Kickstarter, I think they were like 200 quid. But I think his next batch were about 350. Um, so I guess when he finally finishes all of that and starts selling them properly, mm. yeah, probably price will rate go up again. But yeah, it's like a, a titanium. Uh, with a, like a special clear coating on it to make it extra scratch resistant, supposedly, and and I haven't scratched mine yet, so oh, fair, fair. so it seems to be working well. Working quite oh, well. Fingers. So they're, they're pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, all this talk of different brands um, brings a question to mind: of Do we think that the watch market um, is becoming too crowded? Because there's all these micros springing up, um, and obviously all these um, bigger, older brands being revived as well we're seeing a few bounce back um is there just too much choice do you think we'll see sort of we've seen a growth and then in a few years we'll start to see a big culling of all these micros that you know economically can't keep up with you know the the bigger companies as they they sort of catch up to the digital age and the idea of all these value propositions do you think do you think we'll start to see sort of a redress of the balance back towards the more traditional watchmakers Good question. I think there will be a uh, a decline. I don't think it will be like a mass cull as such, but mm. certainly over the last couple of years, because of you know Kickstarter, there's a blooming mm. new campaign yeah. every every week, like every other mm. day almost. So you know, and for some reason, they all seem to get flipping funded with the same crappy watches. So yeah, that's a little bit frustrating. You know, when you get. Oh, I, I'm well. I don't know how you feel about that, James. When you get like uh, messages through, and you're like, "Oh, would you like to review this watch? We're about to launch on Kickstarter." And you look at it, and you're like, mm -hmm. "Sorry, I've had, I've had a couple of those." Respectfully um, decline. Yeah, and, and it's always awkward because you don't want to offend people, um, but at the same time, you just, oh, just my, my heart wouldn't be in it if I said yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I, like I could write about something that just, it wouldn't be the same as if I'm genuinely like, "Oh, that's interesting. That's different." Yeah. Um, yeah. The passion's not in it, so yeah, it, it is awkward, and it's it's not like born of sort of malice or anything. But you no. just got to say no sometimes. Yeah. Um, there, there are some genuinely excellent brands on Kickstarter, and you know everyone's got to start somewhere, which is mm. absolutely fair enough. But when you see the same twodge or not very good stuff over and over again, it can get a little. I think for me, fed up with it. a lot of it comes down to design these days. Mm. In the obviously. We all have certain expectations of, of watches at various price points, whether it be like a sapphire crystal, mm -hmm. um, good loom, or a, you know a, a high beat movement like a Myota nine series versus the eight series. We've all got that sort of in our mind now. If you've been into watches, you know what you expect for your money. Um, and it, there's so many choices now that unless like the design is really on point for what it is, like it knows what it wants to be and it's original. Mm. then you sort of think, oh, it's a bit bit samey, isn't it, really? Mm. That, that's my feelings. I don't know about yeah. either of you two. Yep, completely mm. agree. Yeah, I, I think in general, the short answer is, yeah, there are too many brands. They're, mm. they're, they're, as as you, you both said, they're popping up everywhere. And, you know, I don't, I don't think people really need that much choice, really. Mm. Um, yeah. But I, I think what will come of it is is the, the best will, will rise to the top. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, just talking about Kickstarter, Bolter, for an example, that came to mind that a few years ago they introduced yeah. their Aquascape via Kickstarter, and they've they've gone on to do some really good stuff. Mm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's just part and parcel of the the way of the world at the moment. Um, mm. We're very commercial. Every everyone is is releasing, buying products. Products are a thing for all of us now. Mm. Um, so we're, I think we we are going to start. We're going to continue to see more, but. I think realistically, we don't need as many as, as as we have, and we're going to continue to have. Well, as long as as long as you know the companies that can make money will continue to make money and grow and stick around, and those that can't will, you know, yeah. wither and close. And yeah, to be honest, I mean that. I mean that's a probably even more correct with with this year and how this year's yeah. got. I think we'll, we'll probably start to see a little bit more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think Baltic, as you just mentioned, is a good a, a great example of a micro brand that's. Um, 
it's found its niche, its design language, um, its branding, its price point. And I think they, they'll be the ones to sort of stick around um, for a few, well, I, I won't say for like, you know, decades, but they'll be around a good while and they'll grow and all that, whilst others that perhaps haven't found that niche, that that design sweet spot, that popularity will obviously go the other way. And after they've made a bit of money, people might, the owners might move on to something else. Mm. Sort of thing. I think, I think, but yeah, Baltic are a good example of a micro brand that could, like Christopher Ward, grow from something small to, you know, actual fully fledged watch brand in, you know, 10 years time that's yeah. you know, actually more established. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that they're both really good examples of companies who know what their customers want. Yeah, I think that's that. Like, mm. like the people will decide mm. if a watch is good enough to buy, mm. and, and in turn will mean if a brand sticks around or not. Yeah, and, and both of those brands have done a great job at, at doing that. I think Oris are doing it an even better yeah. job at the moment with with the way they're developing. Their new movement, as as we've said on previous podcasts, their new movement is like clearly um, designed to pitch them against Tudor and that and offer that competitive because that, mm. that's what we're seeing amongst those large brands in the swatch group is yeah. obviously um power reserves are getting longer and you know mm. we're seeing silicon hair springs and all that sort of thing started to be added to cheaper watches to sort of give them an edge over the more affordable basic stuff um because yeah. things <clears> like a screw down crown sapphire you know bgw9 loom that's all fairly standard now so mm. <laughs> unless these like longine and whoever are offering something that you can't get from a bog standard off the shelf movement, uh, then, then, then they're not going to compete. So we're seeing that shift. And again, I think prices are sort of rising uh, because of that. But it's, it's, it's good yeah. though. You want brands and you want companies to be competitive. Mm. I think it's when, when there's only a few at the top is where complacency comes in. Yeah. And yeah. actually then you kind of got that dominating overriding brand or, or, uh, group of brands and then actually it kind of gets a bit boring when, when you're at the top there's, there's no reason to remain competitive you want those price points to get even more uh competitive as time goes on really yeah yeah, yeah no that's, i completely agree that's, um i was just thinking actually um like the bigger brands when was the last time a new bigger brand was introduced they're all brands that have been going on for decades sometimes 100 mm. years so mm. they they're always a little bit stale I'm, i suppose like the entry level luxury uh monta of yeah. sort of they're relatively new just a i don't know maybe a handful of years old maybe and they've mm. nestled in quite nicely they mm. i haven't handled one but all i know i want to yeah we're keen to, keen to, to get something definitely on our list if you're listening monta send us <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, yeah, but they, that's interesting you say that because I, I agree completely, but they had a little teething trouble trying to find their feet because as I understand it, they used to use Eterna movements in their first watches um, and they priced themselves quite highly, even higher than they are now. Um, I mean, I read this on Watch You Seek, so I can't remember the exact details <laughs> or, or, or confirm the accuracy, but as I understand, they initially launched with Eterna movements, which is quite a niche uh, mm. brand of movement to use these days. Yeah. Um, which I think were obviously a little more expensive as a result. And I think they pitched themselves a good a good percentage higher in price, um, sort of a lot close to that two grand mark or at that two grand mark. And obviously they had market feedback and they've sort of reduced it to about that £1,500, sort of 1000 to 1500 range, haven't they now? Yeah. Which is, I think, a lot more of a... Um, well, it's just a lot more competitive from uh, a consumer point of view um, for yeah. what you get with them. Um, so it's interesting just to see again how they haven't initially just slotted right in. They've actually yeah. had to sort of wiggle a bit, bit. And, yeah. and just find, find you know, um, that balance between their quality and what the customer's willing to pay. Mm. Yeah, there, there aren't many of those those bigger brands. I was just trying to think how many I could think of that have, Nev- like, the, like the, the big boys we're talking about who have come in mm. recently. Um, Nevada I mean, I think, um, has got... Who was that, uh, sorry? Nevada, the ones we've just oh, yeah. got in, yeah. um, that I'm yeah. wearing right now. Um, oh, you got it on, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, oh, I'll, uh, very nice. Cool. It's pretty good, actually. But yeah, they're, they're a brand, a good example of a brand that someone's resurrected that's got all this heritage. And obviously, well, this is um, 1,700 Swiss francs, I think, new, mm. this this yes. chronograph, um, which actually is pretty pretty reasonably priced. Um, what, um, what movement is it? Is it Salita 510. So again, okay. you know, Swiss made, good company. Um that's another one that's sort of slotting in right there at that sort of you know mid one one to two k price range. Yeah, which is I mean, interesting. I was just trying to think like and Bella Ross. I think we're mm. we're introducing the nineties. Yeah, Nomos, oh, yeah, yeah. Nomos from the nineties as well. 
Good one. Um, good, good. I think yeah, Hublot were eighties, maybe late seventies. Okay. And then, I mean, the only other one I could think of really the top of my head were maybe like Richard Mill, who were in the past 10, 20 years yeah. or so. Yeah. So yeah obviously, yeah. obviously different different ball ballpark, but yeah, they're kind of the main ones who have who've done a really good job that come to mind straight away and are, mm. and are up there. I, yeah. I was almost quite surprised when I realised that Bell and Ross actually weren't that old. No, yeah, they, they yeah. did feel like a brand who've been around for a long time. Josh. I was just going to say, I think Maurice Lacroix are 75, so they're relatively new, but then that's right. still, within, you know, nearly 50 years old, so it's yeah. got plenty of heritage behind them. They have managed to exude that sort of feeling of being around for a significantly longer length of time than they have. Yeah, I think it is harder for those bigger brands as well to resonate with with people because they're obviously still in really competitive price points and they're mm. trying to aim at a lot of people but also as as we as all three of us know watches are so rooted in that historical connection to be it a style or just like the idea of wearing a mechanical watch is quite an old school approach mm. so it, it kind of makes sense that the 100 year old brands continue to remain at the top because most people who go in to come into watches are doing it for the almost like the artistic appreciation of it. Mm. It's less of, oh, I'm going to wear this watch. It's going to be the most practical. Because if we're yeah. doing that, we'd all be wearing Apple Watches. Like, there's just no question about it. We'd all be wearing them, and every year we'd get a new one. And, you know, but but, yeah. but we're not. We don't wear these watches to tell the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very true. It's very true indeed. And I'm aware that we're getting short on time, but I'll touch on, because I mentioned it, I have to I have to talk about it now. Uh, and that is, of course, uh, your Watch It Watch Fair, Josh, which, of course, yeah. you had the inaugural one last year. I uh, did. And that was good fun. I, I, I attended uh, and it was it was very, very good show. Um, and obviously, you were going to have one this year, but um, COVID had other ideas, yes. unfortunately. So um, I guess next year is going to have to be. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hold back the tears now. <laughs> Um, so yeah, last year, November, well, this time last year, um, mm. and thank you again, James, because you were very, very helpful. You, you got, you came early and you got stuck in and you helped set up all the desks and stuff. Wow. So, uh, yeah, great. Um, great having you there. Um, oh, thanks. so we, I wanted to start it a little bit smaller. So I think we only mm. had 13 brands, um, Chris Ford were one of them. <laughs> Sorry to mention them again, but that, for me, for Plug. me, that was actually a real, a real big deal because they were the biggest brand there. Pinion mm. were there mm. uh, as well. That was a pretty good deal, um, amongst a load of slightly smaller uh, watch brands. But still, every single brand there were, were awesome mm. and, and brought their own thing. Um, I wanted to keep it quite small and intimate, um, just because it was the first one, and I had no idea what mm. I was doing basically. So um, I think. But at one point, we probably had about 200 people in that room. And if you think about it now, it like gives gives you anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> it got pretty busy. It got pretty busy. Yeah. 200 people in one small room. All touching um, the same watches, passing them around each yeah, other. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So that was that went really well. And then I planned the next one in June of this year. Uh, come like February, planning was going amazing. I had 30 brands signed up some real big hitters as well, all British mm. brands as well. I wanted to make sure it was all British brands. Mm. Um, it was slap bang in the middle of Warwickshire as well. Um, so it's easy access to everyone because a lot of events tend to be in London, but loads of people from far up north just can't be bothered to make the journey. Whereas in the in the Midlands, mm. it's easy for everyone to... It's always surprised me there's in. not more in the Midlands, um, in the UK yeah. for, for, for watches. Um, like you've got, obviously you've got like Red Bar Manchester, Red Bar up in Glasgow, Red Bar in yep. London. There is a Bristol one in fairness, isn't there? There is a new Bristol one. Yeah. That's quite new though, isn't it? It's mm. not, not as established mm. as like the London ones and the other ones you mentioned. Mm. But like, um, or, or the watch you see get togethers, they're always in London. Mm. Um, yeah. because I think a lot of the people, uh, the regulars who attend them are London based. So they want to be local, which is fair. Um, but yeah, there's a bit of a gap for us guys in the middle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so <laughs> planning was going really well. Uh, had some amazing brands uh, sign up as well, like Schofield, Farah signed up as well. Mm -hmm. Obviously, Christopher Ward were joining us again. Um, Tribus were going to be there as well. Um, so I was eagerly awaiting that. And then obviously, lockdown happened. So um in I think it was May, I, I held out as long as I could because you know we were always being promised, oh, it's just another month and we'll go back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> Seven months later and nothing's back to normal. Uh, so I postponed it to November. I think mm. it was last weekend, officially mm. the, the mm. rearranged date. And obviously I've had to 
postpone it again. Uh, I haven't bothered assigning a new date yet because I'm thinking <clears throat> there's no point because who knows. Uh, yeah. But I'm hoping spring summertime. I'm just keeping it quite open. Yeah, no, that's that. fair. I mean, you also to, you don't really want to jinx it, do you? <laughs> By giving it a date and then before you know it, exactly. Vaccines yeah. delayed or whatever it is. And yeah. And I just want to sort of do a bit of a, a recce as well. One, when events and conferences, this kind of fair exhibitions do start open, obviously we're going to have to put social distancing measures in place. Just want to mm. get like a decent plan to it, just to make sure that it's worthwhile. Um, it was in a really nice setting as well, like an outdoor marquee of a, a really nice old hotel, uh, just by the M1 and the M6. So really easy to get to and nice, mm. nice location. Um, mm. So watch this space however in the meantime i am gonna hopefully do a virtual equivalent much like the worn and wound mm. uh virtual wind up that they've just been it, we're at the tail end now yeah but i do want to do that and uh, i'll i'll code all that up myself so i'm thinking i'll probably do that sort of the end of this year early next year so hopefully sort of q1 next year i'll, I'll have a, a virtual equivalent of, you know just like a bunch of brands with some interviews and mm. Um, maybe even like a little slot for people to actually speak to the brands as well. Um, but so I, I've told the brands who mm. were involved, who were signed up to watch watch fair and, and the majority of them are, are happy to do that. So watch the space on, on that. That's we look forward to it. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, we're running out of time now, but <clears throat> before we go, um, do either of you have an interesting bit of watch news that's caught your eye this week? Anything, anything in particular? Can I can I plug my own review of the Accutron? Because <laughs> I like you, yeah. Yes, I'll let you. I'll let you plug your own review. Thank you. Yeah, the Accutron uh, DNA, uh, the very first electrostatic powered watch ever. It's quite a cool thing. It's a very cool thing, and watching it is amazing as well. Watching the watch. Um, does it hum like the old Accutrons did? Not, no, not audibly. I can't hear it. Hang on, what's that? No, I just just stick around next to my ear. I am wearing it. Um, so yeah, I was very very happy that they agreed. I reached out to them and I was like, "This looks looking amazing. Can I review it?" And I was um, unbelievably they said yes. <laughs> I was chuffed to bits when they said yeah. Um, yeah, so that was published this week, and it is genuinely a very very significant watch um, for the price around two and a half grand. Mm. You know, when you think about the first quartz movement, that was the price of a Toyota Corolla. <clears throat> the first yeah. um the first digital movement the hamilton uh pulsar p1 that was equivalent today about thirteen thousand dollars ten to thirteen thousand wow. dollars so you know it's pretty pretty good for another first of its kind yeah and yeah. i think it will probably be a collector moving forward a good investment piece perhaps don't quote me on that but is yeah. it a um is it limited edition limited run or is it a full-on production i think it's full-on production it, it hasn't got any yeah they didn't they haven't told me or is there's no indication that it's limited edition. Okay. Five year warranty on the movement and because only people in Japan are allowed to work on it. They're the only people who know how it works. Wow. <laughs> so you've got to send it back to Tokyo if uh, anything goes wrong with it. It's quite wow. exciting because it's like the, the unknown about it because it's a uh, never been done before. Mm. Um, you know, it could carry on ticking for decades and then it'd be perfectly fine forevermore or it could, conk out in a year <laughs> the excitement, yeah, eh? <laughs> it's a risky take cool. yeah. i'm sure it yeah might, gambling but... two and a half k yeah. <laughs> that that's pretty cool that's pretty cool yeah yeah it was very it's a very interesting watch so cool tim what about you you got anything anything you like to share yeah um there's a lot of new watches being released at the moment uh, obviously with the time of year it's kind of the the trend but but mine actually isn't that i've um i've been keeping an eye on what the fratello guys have been doing recently Mm. And I don't know if you guys have seen, but they've recently been running a Amiga Speedmaster World Cup. No, I have not seen that. No. Yeah, so they they basically been following the setup a uh, the the football World Cup would do, and they've got knockout rounds, quarterfinals, all this sort of thing. And the idea okay. is pitching two Speedmasters against each other. Um, each, I think one of the editors takes eat one watch in each round and says, "Here's here's why they think theirs is yeah that should win." Um, and then at the end of, of the articles, um, people can vote that they've got, they've got a poll and you can vote on which one you think is the best. Okay. And then that, that obviously goes through to the next round. So it's been really interesting to, um, 
check out some more of the Speedmasters. I know there's there's loads of limited so editions. Many, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I mean, they're, they're probably one of the only watches that they're able to do a World Cup type. Yeah, I was about to say. For. Yeah. Um, two different speed muscles. Yeah, literally. <laughs> but uh, they seem to be doing a good job with it. Uh, they're currently on the quarterfinals. Uh, it says the the ones that are left are the Snoopy 2015 versus the first Amiga in space. Okay. And the uh, Tintin versus the Alaska Project to, uh, 2008. Ah. So I, I don't think it's going to win, but my, my pick would be the first Amiga in space. Uh, it's yeah, always been a Speedmaster, I'd say, if I, if I was going to get one. Yeah, the classic. I like the, I don't I like like the gimmicky. Uh, I don't know. Some people will probably shoot me for saying this, but I don't like the gimmicky collaborations with like Snoopy. It's, it's a bit weird, and I don't really sit right with me. Like, mm. I like well, I, I've got nothing against Snoopy, but it is a bit weird having on your like 4K watch or whatever um, a little little cartoon dog. Yeah. Just, well, <laughs> but, uh, I don't Not know. To each their own, but yeah. the thing is though, I, the, the collaborations for me, what really undermines them is when people like um, or brands like Undone do the same collaboration. Mm-hmm. So yes. you've got a watch that costs like under two hundred pounds with Snoopy on, or you can have one that costs like four, four and a half, whatever it is, with Snoopy on as well. It's like, I don't know. It just doesn't. You once you've lost that exclusivity, it feels a bit cheapens it a bit for me. I suppose Amiga have obviously got the connection with NASA though, so it's more of the Snoopy yeah. award rather than obviously Snoopy directly. Well, yes, but it's so, like but, but yeah, a casual people... person like me is just going to be like Snoopy, some boat. <laughs> yeah, there's a little dog. Which dog watch do I go for? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd recommend people check that out if you're um, if you're cool. big on your Speedmasters, have a read and and see if you can vote yours through. The, the voting's pretty close at the moment. Uh, the Silver Snoopy versus First Amiga in Space is only 300 votes between each other. And the Tintin versus the Alaska Project is, I think it was like 10 or something. Yeah, it's like it's like 50 really between them. So really, really close. Worth um, voting. What a favourite. Yeah. Yeah. Over and get voting. Cool. Well, um, my piece of news, as you said, there's lots of stuff coming out at the moment. And well, we've mentioned Baltic earlier, um, which is like great because <laughs> I, I mentioned the Breitling earlier which was one of the potentials i could have gone with and now we've already talked about baltic but they've obviously got some new gmts out um it's no secret by now it's all up on their website so (laughs) we can talk about it freely yeah sure um and so yeah they've released some lovely retro gmts um that basically build on the aquascape design and just change it up a bit with um obviously a bi-directional bezel and new handset but interestingly um laurier um, they've released their own GMT um, that is pretty similar. I mean, they're not obviously they've each got their own DNA, but uh, Baltics, um, they're both sort of that vintage inspired, um, very 60s retro, you know, like just classic GMT diver look sort of thing. Mm. Was uh, it you who posted the meme about uh, the, the boyfriend looking behind him and he's like, No, it wasn't. That uh, wasn't it. Uh, <laughs> when you could, when you, you want the, uh, uh, Baltic, but, yeah, uh, making something like yeah, or over um, two hundred and fifty quid less or whatever it is, yeah. two hundred and fifty dollars, and it's the same movement. Um, but <laughs> you've got the uh, they are using a, a plexiglass, whereas Baltic use sapphire. So there is there is differences to justify the cost, but it's quite a close run thing. Um, but it's, yeah, it's quite interesting. Again, it's a sign of just how popular vintage stuff is that they've both bought out, you know, a vintage. GMT style, um, but I think either of them are pretty cool, and um, they're they're both good choices if you want that look. So I think they're well mm. worth checking out. And uh, yeah. well, we we've said here that we're going to try and do a comparison. Not that either brand knows that yet, but <laughs> we'll see if we can get away with that because um, I think it'd be interesting. But mm. yeah, that that that's that's it from me really. I think in terms of news um, that really stood out. So yeah. Um, well, with that, it has been lovely having you on, Josh. Thank you very much for joining us uh, virtually. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Good. So uh, yeah, you, um, I've got I've got one one more question for Josh. Oh. I thought it's a nice one to end on. Um, if, there might be quite a few people listening who are who are passionate about watches and maybe want to start their own website and when they want to start oh, okay. writing about it. Have you got one one piece of advice that you found after starting it that you thought actually yes. if I had that before would really help? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, get ready for the long run uh, and just just keep chipping away at it. I found that after, it, it took me about a year to really actually find my feet. Mm. So just keep on plodding. It, it's it's difficult, uh, especially when you're working like you have a job at the same time. Mm. 
So, yeah, just keep on going, man. Keep, keep plugging. Keep yeah. plugging away. Yeah. Keep yeah. learning and improving as well, I guess. Is yeah, it? yeah, exactly. I mean, I have seen loads, unfortunately, loads of really good watch uh, blogs, so watch blogs, bloggers, who have just mm-hmm. given up after a year. And you're like, if you just keep just on going, well, that's the thing, it's isn't rocky it? to start with because you're thinking, no one's visiting my site, this is rubbish, <clears> fans <throat> aren't responding. You've just got to buy out but- the time. That's where you got to learn as well and sort of take on some of that, like the marketing stuff and sort of learn a bit of yeah. what other people are doing to promote it and try and emulate or improve on that. And, you know, just put yourself yeah. out there a bit, really. You can't you can't wait for people to find you. You've got to put yourself in front of yeah. them. That'd be... So that. I, I, I suppose the one word answer to your question is patience. Have patience. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a nice thing to end on. Um, so yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much once again, Josh. And thank, thank you. you, Tim. And uh, to all you at home, I hope you enjoyed it. And um, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Time to Unwind podcast. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. So please leave your ratings of the show through your podcast app. And be sure to reach out on social media at WatchGecko with your thoughts. Adding a rating and a comment really does help the podcast, so we'd be grateful for your support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.